I'm going to direct your attention to the Gospel of Mark this morning. If you're a guest with us, we've been working our way through Mark's Gospel. And as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, we find ourselves in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. And I'd like to read all the way through chapter 12 and verse 12. Mark 11, 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. And I want to talk with you today about the mercy and judgment of God. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. What's the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to be a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine wine press and built a tower and rented out the vineyard and went on a long journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another And that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do, he will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him and yet they feared the people for they understood that he spoke the parable against them and so they left him and went away. You know, we're smack dab in the heart of Holy Week in Mark's Gospel, and it's Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus comes in from Bethany, and he's going to spend the entire day in argumentation with the religious leaders. They're going to be peppering him with questions. They're going to be trying to trip him up. They're going to try to trap him and trick him and befuddle him. They want to embarrass him before the crowds or or maybe even get him to to say something that he ought not say to turn the crowds against him. And so they question his authority. They ask him, who gave you the right to do the things that you are doing? Now, they're talking about the clearing of the temple. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the clearing of the temple. I think last week, in fact. 
how, how Jesus went in and he overturned the tables of the money changers. He drove out those that were selling the animals. He, he brought mass confusion to a, to a marketplace that had been set up in the court of the Gentiles. And they understood this to be a messianic act. They understood him to be acting prophetically. And so they said, who gave you the right? Who gave you the authority? Who do you think you are to do these things? And so Jesus wisely turns the table on his inquisitors. He said, let me ask you a, a question. Let me ask you a simple question. John's baptism. From heaven or from men? Well, this put the religious leaders into quite a precarious situation. For the crowds believed John to be, have been an authentic prophet, a genuine prophet. He's been beheaded by Herod Antipas, but his memory and his voice is still ringing in their ears. Now, if they were to say that, that John were a prophet of God, that his authority came from God, his message came from God, Jesus is going to say, then why didn't you believe him? Why weren't you baptized in the Jordan like so many people were baptized? Why did you reject his baptism and his message as not being genuinely divine, coming from God? But if they said from men, there would have been an uprising. The crowds loved John. They flocked to the Judean wilderness to hear John. So many of them were baptized in the Jordan River by John. And so they're between a rock and a hard place. And so they say, we just, we don't know. We can't answer it. And so Jesus says, then I won't answer you. But he does answer them. He answers them by telling a parable. Jesus hadn't told a a parable of this length in Mark's gospel since Mark chapter 4. All the way back in chapter 4, he told the parable of the soils, a lengthy parable that Jesus interpreted for us. Now he tells another parable. It's the parable of the vine growers. It's a parable about the rejected God and how the religious leaders had rejected God. It's a parable about the mercy of God and the patience of God and the judgment of God. God's righteous indignation is demonstrated when his patience ends and his wrath begins. And so he reminds them of Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. That's the, that's the background to the parable of the vine growers. The parable of the vineyard. And in Isaiah chapter 5, as you find in so many places in the Old Testament, Jesus uses that and he is going to, he is going to use it to teach his audience. Now the parable is rather clear. The vineyard represents Israel. The tenant farmers represent the religious leaders. The owner of the vineyard is God, and those whom the owner sends to speak to the tenant farmers are the prophets. The religious leaders are to be tending God's people. They're to be nurturing them. 
Uh, they're, to be, they're to be helping them grow and develop and mature into a, into a healthy nation. And when God sends to receive his portion, that which should be given to him as the owner of the vineyard, he sends them prophets and they, ki- they beat one and they, they kill another. The, the response of the tenant farmers, well, it's illogical. What led them to think that they could get away with this forever? He sends one, they beat him. He sends another, they beat him. They send another, they kill them. It's, it's illogical that they th- thought that they could keep getting away with this. But you know, that's the way sin is. That's the point. Sin is never logical. Mark this down. Sin is never logical. It's a manifestation of spiritual insanity. They thought, we've gotten away with it so far, I think we can get away with it longer. They thought that just because God has been patient and gracious, that, they, that he would continue to overlook the beating and the persecution and the murdering of his spokespersons, his prophets. They've gotten away with it so far. I think we can get away with it a little bit longer. You know, the parable teaches us not only that sin is illogical, but that God is very patient and gracious. You just wonder, why doesn't God just swoop in immediately and destroy them? But he's kind, he's gracious, he's patient. He sends one spokesperson, they ignore him and beat him. He sends another one, uh, they beat him and send him away empty-handed. Another one and they kill. He is so gracious and patient. And then in verse 6, he sends finally his beloved son. That phrase, beloved son, it's only used two other times in the, in the gospel. Once in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God said about Jesus. The other time is in Mark chapter 9 and verse 7 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are there, and a cloud descends and, and, and covers them. It, it's the manifest presence of God. And God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So he sends his beloved son. It reflects the redemptive heart of God. That he would send his beloved son, not just to deliver a message, but also to die. And and not just to die any death, but to be murdered on a cross. You wonder, what's going through the mind of these tenant farmers in this parable that they would think that if they killed the son, they would get the vineyard? Well, it doesn't make sense, and that's the point. Rejecting God's messengers and rejecting God's son doesn't make any sense. It's spiritual insanity to think that you can continually resist the overtures of God and 
there be no consequences for it. Well, Jesus interprets the parable. They understand that it's about them and, and they're, they're irate. They want to murder him. They want to kill him. But they're, they're too coward, cowardly to do it publicly. They know that the crowds were infatuated with him. So what are they going to do? They're going to do it quietly. They're going to do it privately. They're going to do it under the cover of darkness. They're going to do it while everybody's asleep. And they're going to arrest him and impale him on a cross before anybody hardly knows what's going on. And they're not going to do it inside the city at the temple. They're going to do it outside the city. Let me give you a, a couple of thoughts that came to my mind about, about this passage as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Many, well, let me say a few. A few of you gathered here today don't, you don't know Jesus. And you have found yourself rejecting his gracious overtures and invitation. You can remember as a child your parents reading the Bible to you and, and bringing you to church. You can remember being in, in youth group and having small group leaders talk with you about the gospel and about the need to put your faith in Christ. You can remember that there were times in your life when you were convicted by the Holy Spirit. You knew that what you were doing was wrong and you knew that following Christ was right. But you've, you've said no to God's messenger over and over and over. And, you, and, and you're at the point that you think, you know, one day I probably will give my life to Jesus. But right now I'm in an immoral relationship and I, I'm not willing to give that up. If I were to give my life to Jesus right now, I'd be, I would be the only person in, in my fraternity or sorority that, that knows Jesus. And I, I just can't be lonely, not, in, not during my college years. But what you don't understand is that God's patience one day will come to an end. And God's judgment will be swift, decisive, and eternal. Let the parable instruct your heart. Quit saying no to God. Every messenger he sends, a grandparent a parent, a small group leader, a Christian co-worker. That's God's redemptive love reaching out to you. Don't continue to say no to God because his judgment will be swift, it will be decisive, and it will be eternal. Secondly, most of us here today, we do know Jesus. And when we study a parable like this, it's good to be reminded of how gracious and great God's redemptive love is. That he didn't give up on us. That he came to us over and over and over again. 
that he continued to show us that he died for us, that he offers us forgiveness of sin. And and there came a point, whether as a child or a teenager or a young adult or a a middle-aged man or a, a senior adult lady, there came a point when we said, I will trust Christ with my life and I will believe in him for forgiveness of sin. And it's a moment like this when we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper that it's good, to, it's good to say, thank you. Thank you that you didn't quit sending your messengers to me. It, it ought to stir within us great love for Jesus. The second thing it ought to do is cause us to be very patient with others who are saying no to Jesus. Because you didn't say yes the first time you heard about Jesus. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, I, I guess I've always been a Christian now that you asked me when it happened. And, and that to me is the sign that you've never become a Christian. Nobody's always been a Christian. And if he was so generous and kind and patient With us, how much more should we be with others who don't know Jesus? His kindness and patience and redemptive heart for us ought to motivate us to be patient and kind toward others. The third thing that it should should do for us is to give us a commitment to be a spokesperson for him. Whether we work at Starbucks or Kroger's, whether we work at Ford or Macy's, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or a retired engineer, there are all kinds of people that are around us on a regular basis that we ought to be a messenger for Jesus, that we ought to be a spokesperson for him. We ought to allow him to use us to share the gospel, and the reason is because he used others to share the gospel with us. None of us were saved like the Apostle Paul on a Damascus Road encounter. We were saved because there was some gracious person at some point in our lives who articulated to us our need of salvation and God's provision through Christ. And this is why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. We're celebrating the God who didn't quit. We're celebrating the God who repeatedly sought us after our repeated rejections. We repeatedly rejected him. We repeatedly ignored him. We repeatedly lived with a self-righteous smugness thinking that we were better than other people because of our race, because of our education, or because of our socioeconomic standing, but he didn't quit. What's not to love about a God like that? What's not to love about a God that would send his beloved son to be murdered in our place? Impaled on a cross, bearing the penalty for our sin. What's not to love about a God like that? So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, that's that's the God that we're celebrating. 
If you're a guest with us today, you may be wondering, well, Pastor, what is, what's, the, what's the policy about the Lord's Supper for guests here at Ninth and O? Our policy is this. If you are a Christian seeking after Jesus, actively involved in an evangelical church, or maybe you're in a transition period in your life and you're actively seeking a new church home, we would invite you to to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. It could be today that that, uh, you don't know Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're not very interested in following Jesus. Him, we would, we would encourage you not to participate in the Lord's Supper. You may be a member of Ninth and O, and you just say, you know, I, I'm, not where I, no, I'm not where I need to be. I, I don't even want to be there. I'm not struggling with indwelling sin. I'm just giving myself over to it. If I were just honest with you, Pastor, then we'd say to you, please don't, don't take the Lord's Supper this morning. But if you're where I am, making two steps forward and find yourself making one step back, and with every step back, you, you hate it because you want to you love and serve Jesus. And, and maybe you're just growing incrementally a little bit at a time like I am. Uh, well, you know, this is, this is for you and this is for me today. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then I'm going to ask our deacons to come and, and to serve the bread. And then the, and the chairman of the deacons, Sean Veets, will, will serve with me. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and we ask you in Jesus' name that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember Jesus in the way that he has commanded us to remember him, we pray that you would strengthen us and help us to love him more and to be reminded that you are are the merciful and loving God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Sean. In the upper room, Jesus said that this broken bread represented his body, but it also represented the relentless love of God, that God loved us so much that he would not stop with sending of prophets, priests, and kings, that he would send his beloved son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you chew this little wafer in just a moment, in the quietness of your heart, would you thank God for his relentless love to take and eat? Father, you could have rightly left us to ourselves, but you didn't. And you demonstrated the ineffable love of a Savior in the sending of your Son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Men will give the juice. This little cup of juice is to remind us that we are blood-bought sinners. 
You know, so many times we, we find ourselves looking back at things that we've done in the past and, and living with such, such, such deep guilt. But the blood of Jesus was intended to cleanse us of all our sin and to be an eternal reminder that God loves us and that he has taken our sin and that he has separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. I think, well, pastor, you don't know what I did. You know, I really don't, but I know what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul was a wild-eyed maniac who had given himself to a singular purpose, and that was to be complicit in the murder and persecution of as many Christians as he could possibly be involved in. You remember that he he stood there as Stephen was murdered. He hated Jesus. Every fiber of his being hated Jesus. I can only imagine that the name of Jesus infuriated him. He may have been demon-possessed. He may have been demonized. What kind of man is engaged in the kind of behavior that he was engaged in without demonic activity being a part of it? Yet when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, not only was he forgiven of all of his sins, he became a new creation in Christ. He could have lived his life always looking back over his shoulder at who he was and and what he did. But he wrote some of the most beautiful and magnificent words in the Bible when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's who we are today. In just a moment, we'll drink this juice, and then I'll lead us in a prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand and, and turn your attention toward Sam. Take drink. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes us from all our sin. Glorify yourself as we sing now to the glory of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.